Good morning, friends. Welcome to Randall Church. We're so glad you're here again. My name is Pastor Milo. How many are glad to be here this morning in the house of God? Yeah. There's seven of you who are excited, and the rest of you are here. So that's good. It's a new season. Uh, just, man, it's a new football season. It's a new season for us as a church as we're beginning our fall electives. And many of your kids just got started this week at school. Some of them are kind of jumping in uh, this coming week. College students are back and starting to take, you know, the quizzes that lead to exams, that lead to papers and all of those things. Like, it's just that we're in a new season. September is here. Uh, we're getting kind of into the fall rhythm here as a church. And we got through the fall festival. It was a great night for those of you who came. I know we just watched that video a minute ago. And man, it is just really neat to be able to see uh, kind of what happens in a new season as a church. And so uh, it's just encouraging for, for us to be able to celebrate those things together and to be able to talk about uh, some of the new things that are going on here as a church. So in that, we're starting this new sermon series today in the book of Nehemiah called Awakening. So if you'll get your Bibles out this morning, we're going to spend some time in this book. We're going to do a few different things today to try to help you along the way. We're in the book of Nehemiah. If you're using that hard uh, copy of the Bible in front of you, an NIV version, uh, we're on page 505. So if you want to make your way there this morning, if you don't have your own copy of God's Word, we would love for you to be able to take one with you this morning. We have them in the back in our center point area on the, on the shelf there in the library. As you go in the door to your left, there's, there's a whole stack of Bibles there, and we'd love for you to be able to take one if you don't have your own copy. If you're using a uh, cell phone or an iPad or something like that this morning, uh, the version is a great way for you to be able to track with us and follow along uh, where we are going to be uh, for this series in Nehemiah that's going to take us through into the Christmas season. So we're going to be here together for a little while, and so there's going to be a number of things that we talk about as we get into this series. So show of hands this morning, how many of you want to be used by God. Show of hands, how many of you want to be used of God? So if you're here this morning and you hear the sound of my voice, you're here today, some of you are just trying to explore and figure out what this whole church thing is about, but many of you are, are really trying to figure out how is God going to use me? What does God have for my life? What is his purpose for me? And so as an opening statement, and you can follow along, is that there's a white sheet of paper there in your bulletin this morning. I want to make this statement for you this morning as we begin that says this, do you want to be used of God? The person who God uses has a burden for his people, a vision for his purpose, and a commitment to his purpose. The person uses, that God uses has a burden for God's people, a vision for his purpose, and a commitment to his purpose. Some of you may come in here this morning and say, you know what, I really can get behind the teachings of Christ. I think that Jesus Christ is a good guy. I even like his Bible. I just don't like his people very much. Look to your right and say, I don't know if I like you very much. Look to your left, I'm not sure if you're a very friendly person to be around. The person that God uses, do you want to be used of God? The person that God uses loves God's people. Don't miss that, friends. Has a vision for his purpose, can very clearly see, can put on the goggles of God's vision, the gospel working through their lives, and can see what God has for them, has a very clear picture of that, and then is committed to his purpose in doing so. Stays the course. Our football team right now is constantly using the mantra of trust the process. Just trust the process. 
Today we find out how well we trust the process, right? Are we committed to his purpose? So as we open up the book of Nehemiah, I'm going to use an illustration this morning to try to help us get our heads around what's going on here in Nehemiah. And so uh, if you've got your Bibles there, you can, you can keep your finger in 505 as the page number we were at, the first chapter of Nehemiah. But will you also turn back, it might be the second, third page in your Bible, the table of contents. The table of contents. I want you to kind of see where things are coming together here in Scripture of what Nehemiah is about, how it fits into the puzzle. And I'm going to do an illustration here to help us with that. So if you know your books of the Bible, you have the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, we find out uh, many of the characters of the Old Testament. We find out how, uh, the, how all things started into existence, the origin of all things here in the book of Genesis. We meet some characters that we're going to hear about again and again of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And we get to the book of Exodus. And as we go into the book of Exodus, we find that there are uh, this guy Moses. And he's going to take the people out of Egypt. We finished the last sermon series where Joseph is in Egypt and they are there and they are in prison and they must find a way out. And Exodus begins that journey and Moses leads us through the book of Exodus. And then we get additional books that help us kind of see some different things. We have the book of Numbers and we find some rules and some regulations that come along with the story of the Israelites as they go through the desert and find their way through the desert. We have the book after Numbers becomes uh, Leviticus. Did I say Leviticus? I said Numbers. and You follow along, okay? We're, we're, we're working together here. You try to keep your mind moving with all this stuff. So, got Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so all of this is during Moses' lifetime. And then we find after that that Moses is not allowed to go in the promised land because of the sin that he has before the Lord. And so we meet a guy named Joshua, who's been working with Moses all along the way. And Joshua begins his book, and we, we learn that he says, as far as my family and my house is concerned, we will serve the Lord. So we've made our way through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. We follow Joshua with this part of the Bible called Judges. We get into Judges, and we find these rulers, these leaders that are leading God's people. Many times they are warriors. Many times they are fighting the enemy, but there's oftentimes where they are not good leaders, and they are battling with each other. And so in the middle of all of that, there's, there's chaos that ensues, and, and things don't seem right. They don't feel right. It doesn't match up with what we were told in, the, in Genesis of this being God's people, or what we were told in Genesis when, when we were going to leave Egypt, and, and this exodus was going to take us to the promised land. It doesn't seem to match up with what we expected. So as the narrative continues, you meet and follow the story of Ruth. Now, Ruth is a little bit different. Because Ruth's story is about a people who were, she was not a Jew. She was not of this track. But what happens is that uh, the Jewish people were under famine. And so they went to this different land where Ruth lived. And because of her mother-in-law, Naomi, she finds her way coming back to God's people. And coming back to and learning about their cultures and their times. And integrating herself into, so she's saying, I, no matter what, there's nothing left for me there. I am coming into this people and I'm going to be, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And that's what we learn about Ruth. After Ruth, we get into, this story continues. We get First and Second Samuel. And so as we begin with First Samuel... We meet this character, and we, we meet Samuel first and find out how he was called into God's ministry, the way that his mother prayed for him, 
uh, the way that she uh, desired to give his life wholly and entirely to God. Uh, we have baby dedication services here where we ask parents to pray for their kids. Understand this was a different level of prayer where she said, this child is yours. When he was weaned, when he was ready, she took him to the church, took him to the temple, took him there and walked away and said, God, he's yours. Thank you so much. And through Samuel, we learn about a guy named David. And David, as we find out about David, uh, we learn that he is a man after God's own heart. Through Samuel's story, uh, we find that God's people are getting frustrated with these judges and said, God, will you give us a king? Samuel, find us a king. Find us someone to lead us. All the nations around us have kings. And when they have kings, everything is hunky-dory. Everything is perfect. And if we just had a king, we would be okay. And this hurts the very heart of God because God's heart says, I am your king. I am the one who will lead you and rule you. You do not need a man to be your king. But because you are begging for it, because you keep driving for it, I will give it to you. And so we first meet Saul. And Saul is the first king and he stands head and shoulders. He's a great quarterback. He stands head and shoulders over all the offensive line. We're really excited about Saul. Things don't turn out so well for Saul. And then we have the anointing of King David. And King David, uh, as, as a young boy, he is, he is now going to demonstrate by killing Goliath and by doing these mighty deeds for the Lord that he is going to be a king who will rule with a sword in his fist and he will fight off any enemy there is. And yet he has this heart after God's own heart and he pursues the things of God. And yet there's sin in his life and sin in his family. And as we follow that story, you see uh, the different passages that line us up and take us through the next book as well into 1 Kings. And we see how his kingdom is ruled and reigned and what happens in his kingdom and how things don't go so well during the transition from Saul's rule and the way that Saul's sons want to take over the kingdom even though David has been anointed as king and this battle ensues back and forth. And David hands the reins over to his son Solomon in 2 Kings. And what we see in 2 Kings is that Solomon, although he is ruling, his brothers are not happy about it. His, his ask to God, his request to God is, God, give me wisdom to how to lead because I cannot figure out how to do this on my own. And God grants that wish and allows him to lead with wisdom. But he is not a perfect king. He falls at the end of his life, and we see all the different ways that he allows sin to creep into his life and into his rulership. And so uh, these kings of Saul and David and Solomon are really the end of anything that has any real value when it comes to the kings of Israel. As we move forward, we see in First Chronicles uh, some of this additionally kind of covered again. And the way that scripture kind of lays it out for us and just a different uh, representation of it, uh, the way that the two of them kind of run parallel to each other, give us a storyline of what's happening and how all the timeline kind of works together. We see First Chronicles and then Second Chronicles kind of carrying us through and letting us know the history of this people of Israel. After we get through Second Chronicles, we have uh, a couple more books that carry us through what we know as the history of scripture. The history of scripture takes us through this guy named Ezra. He is a prophet, and he is telling us the story of what has happened to God's people. After him, we have uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah is who this sermon series is about. I'll give you some more information there with him. So we've got Ezra, Nehemiah, and then we have Esther. And so as we look at the storyline, uh, we'll see Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther and their importance 
and what is going on. So I'm going to show for you, hopefully, a, a, a demonstration as to how these pieces come together. But as we've made our way this far through, if you followed your table of contents and made your way through, we get to this point of Scripture, and this is the history that we see in the Old Testament. These are the historical books, and I'll explain to you a little bit what happens with the rest of the pieces that we see put together of the Old Testament. But this covers the history of the Old Testament. So if you're, flip back over now to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, page 505, you're following along in that black Bible. This is how the book of Nehemiah opens. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven and great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love and with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you, day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins that we, the Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. So Lord, this morning we pray that that would be our heart's prayer and our heart's desire this morning, Lord, that, that those who revere your name, Lord, that we would uh, give an enlightenment, that, we, that our hearts would be attentive to what you have to say to us this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word and the way that it continues to speak to us day after day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so if we have here the historical documents of, of Scripture that take us to this point, the last three are important for our discussion today as we get into this series of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. They're, they're, they're going to help us tie some pieces together. You need to understand, so if this is the historical record of, of what we see in the Old Testament, then the books that follow kind of fit under that historical record. So if you still have your finger in the table of contents, let's continue to move through the Old Testament and see if we can make sense out of what's going on here. So our next book in the Old Testament is the book of Job. Now, the book of Job, timeline-wise, happens all the way back at the beginning in the same timeline as what we see in Genesis. Even the very earliest things that we read in Genesis are happening during Job, and we hear Job's story. Then we have the next two books of Psalms and Proverbs. And so Psalms and Proverbs are these two stories, these two poet, poetic pieces that are written by Solomon and by David, and they are written while the kingdom is at its highest point. 
So men are very interested in what they have to say, the, the wisdom that they are sharing, the storyline that is presented, the music that is being shared. That poetry is, is very important to God's people during that time because they are at the height of the kingdom. We get the book of Ecclesiastes written by Solomon. We get the book of Song of Solomon. Uh, raise your hands if Song of Solomon is your favorite book in the Bible. Men, your wives should be seeing you raise your hands. After that Song of Solomon, we get the stories of Isaiah and Jeremiah. And Jeremiah also writes the book of Lamentations. And in these stories and in these lives and in these prophets, we, we hear this foreshadowing that is saying, people of Israel, we need to wake up. People of Israel, God is not satisfied with our second best. People of Israel, God does not trust the way that we are living our lives when we have been given the command to follow through and pursue his will and his vision and stay committed to it. And we get these two men, Ezekiel and Daniel. Let me make sure I can pull these out correctly here. Ezekiel, let's say Daniel. Ezekiel and Daniel, I'm going to set aside for a moment because these men are very important to the storyline of how it plays out. So we've got Ezekiel and Daniel. They're going to wait for us over here for just a moment, okay? So after Ezekiel and after Daniel, we start to see some of the minor prophets. We see Hosea and Joel. We see Amos and Obadiah. Some of you were in the last elective when, uh, last spring and we talked about Jonah and Micah. Some of you are getting nervous. I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> Nahum and Habakkuk and Zephaniah. And so when we get towards the end of things, things are beginning to look a little less stable. Things are beginning to be a little less secure. And this is the spot we find ourselves. And if we add some additional minor prophets that finish uh, what we see as the Old Testament with Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, we're going to see things in a very unstable state. Would you agree? I'm closer than you are. I will agree with myself, okay? <laughs> I told you to pay attention to Ezekiel and to Daniel. You see, what happens in the lifetime of Ezekiel and Daniel is that God has been speaking through the prophets, through Jeremiah. God has been speaking through Isaiah. He's been saying, you need to wake up, people, because what's going to happen is what? It's all going to come tumbling down. <laughs> That did exactly what I hoped it would do. <laughs> so Ezekiel and Daniel now are living in what we know as the exile. They are captives in a foreign land, and we learn about what it looks like to be in that. And one of those guys, Daniel, writes and tells us very specifically about uh, the foreshadowing, what he sees as a prophecy, what will happen in his lifetime, and then even into what we would see in our lifetimes. But all the kingdom and all that it was and all that they hoped it would be is, is a shadow of what it once was. 
There's not much left there for them to work with. And Daniel speaks and talks about what is going to happen to God's people as he himself is in the middle of it. He has been top, the kingdom has been toppled over, and he and the rest of the Israelites, five million of them, have been taken by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and taken away from their kingdom. And as he listens to God's voice, and as he stays true to God's teaching and to God's word and doesn't turn his back, God shows him, and he believes very clearly, God shows him that this would only be for 70 years. And so what we find as we get to these books, remember I told you the importance of the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther. They are living in the time frame that the clock is up. 70 years has passed, and they are living in that season. And what we find when we get to that season, you get to this section of Scripture, it all kind of pieces together. And I know for me, even as I study it this week, when you see Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther in the grouping, you wouldn't necessarily think of them at the end of the Old Testament. But I'm trying to show you by moving those pieces that it's all kind of happening at the same time. During that season, during First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, all of these things are happening all at once as the, as the kingdom has been dispersed in every direction. And so if you've got that white sheet of paper for you this morning, and you're saying here today, do you want to be used of God? Yes, I want to be used of God. Then here's your first fill-in for you this morning. On your mark, come as you are. Listen. On your mark, come as you are, listen. As we open the first pages of this book of Nehemiah, now in the oldest manuscripts, most people believe that as it was Ezra 1 and Ezra 2, just like we have uh, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, that this was Ezra's book, that what is being written here, Ezra is writing in third person for Nehemiah. And the storyline that we see is that the background, the backdrop of this is the Babylonian Empire, which, which pulled them out, has now fallen as well, and the Persian Empire has taken over Babylon. And King Cyrus has taken over the Persian Empire, and he is so arrogant that he says, because I rule all of the world, because I have done this and God has shown favor on me, then I will allow you people to go back and do your little religion thing. And so he allows, if you look at the, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and put them together, first in the, in the opening chapters of Ezra, we see a man named Zerubbabel. He's the first wave that King Cyrus allows to go back and begin the rebuilding process. And so Zerubbabel goes back and he begins putting pieces back together of what he sees as the most high priority, and that is the temple. And so he puts the pieces of the temple back together. And then there's a second wave that Cyrus allows. Cyrus allows a second wave to go back. And what had been five million people who had been taken out by Babylon, now was a group of only about 50,000 that were left. So three to five million people, now only 50,000 are left, and they can go back, if they choose to, to go back and begin working on the temple. And the work had started on the temple, and Zerubbabel did a good job. The temple was built, and people got frustrated, and they're not really doing their job, and it didn't really fix things. And so Ezra goes back, 
And Ezra's, under Ezra's leadership, he, he decides it's not the temple, it's not the brick and mortar that we need to worry about. It's we need to worry about the scriptures and the Torah. And we're going to rebuild that as well. So this part of scripture is not only the rebuilding of the temple, but it is the rebuilding of God's laws and God's teaching and the reminder of turning people back to those things. And so there's been two phases already of rebuilding. Zerubbabel and Ezra have started rebuilding of what has been lost there in Jerusalem and in Israel. And so we find, on your mark, come as you are, we find Nehemiah. Nehemiah is still here in exile. Why is he still in exile? He's, there, there were two opportunities for him to leave, but for whatever reason, he is still there in exile. But when he sees people coming back, he said, there's 50,000 of you who went back to repair our land, repair our temple, to, to revive our people. We've waited 70 years for this. Tell me the story. Tell me what's going on. And the reason why this section is labeled, on your mark, come as you are, is this. Where he was, the spot that he was in, as he is looking at the distance of what has happened and where he is, he has to come as he is. He has to be seen as he is. Come right there, come, come over. All I can do is listen. There's nothing else that I can do right now. Just tell me what is going on. And, and let's, let's see, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, so this is his speaking. In the month of Kislev in the 20th year, that's like the end of the uh, fall season going maybe Christmas time frame. Although Christmas obviously didn't exist at that point. When I was in the citadel of Susa. The citadel is a, a, a university, actually a college down in Charleston, South Carolina that is a military college. The citadel is all about, it's a fort, it's a safe place. You see, Nehemiah was in a safe, happy, contented spot when we open the book of Nehemiah. And when he gets the word, when he is listening, and he is preparing for on your mark, you see, when you step up to a race, you are called to the starting line, and he is being called to the starting line right now, and he's saying, but I am comfortable. I am in the citadel. I am in the city of Susa. When you cross-reference that, you look at it, and I said Esther was important as well. This is the same city that Esther is in, maybe even at the same time. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah and some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant. Remember that first wave that went and the second wave? They survived the exile, and they were also all about Jerusalem. And they said, oh, those who survived the exile are back in the province, but they are in great trouble. And they are a what? A disgrace. They were supposed to go back. Like Daniel Boone going out into the wilderness. They were supposed to make something of it. And there's very little to show for it. They are a disgrace for us. Those who survived the exile, they lived through all this. They lived through 70 years here, through great trouble, and just now they have disgraced themselves. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates have been burned with fire. You see, sometimes all we can do is listen. Nehemiah just had to listen to the report take it in, to be aware that there was nothing he could do, but he had to take the time to ask those men as they came back, will you report to me? Many of you know here as a church, we talked about it in our DNA sessions this morning. We as a church planted in North Tonawanda, a church in 2013 named Renewal Church. 
Many of you have met their new pastor, Dan. And, and Dan comes here and you, you hear the report. And wouldn't it be awful if we as a church, when we get the report, we run into Dan in the supermarket. We say, Dan, tell us what's going on at Renewal. And he says, well, actually, remember all those resources you sent? Remember all the, the people that we said that, that the church was growing and it was doing well? Yeah, we actually packed it up and gave, gave up. We started some things, but, you know, we, we decided to close it down. It wasn't much fun. And so, eh. So what? Now I'm selling life insurance. The twins that that would have in our hearts, right, is, is just the smallest increment. When you're talking about this is God's people who have been sent to repopulate the land, to take back the, the, the beauty of what they knew was supposed to be able to regrow and to, to come back and the strength of what God had given them in the past. They were supposed to go back and rebuild that. And the word comes back and says, yeah, it didn't work out. It's a disgrace. They stopped trying. They're fighting with each other. The wall is broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. Here's your second feeling. First, it's on your mark. Come as you are. Second, get set. Stop what you're doing and pray. Stop where you are. Pray. Friends, if you're going to be used of God, first, you're going to have to listen to what God is doing, where he's at work what the situation is. You're going to have to get a lay of the land to understand what it is that's going on out there and how bad it is. You have an awareness of what's going on in your neighborhood, where, where the struggles are, the weaknesses are. We need to have an awareness of where we're sending our missionaries to and what their struggles are and what their concerns are and what they're up against. We need to be listening for those things, being aware, reading, listening to our politicians, listening to what's going on in the government, listening to, looking at the landscape and being aware, listening but when all that data comes in, when you take all of those inputs, what had you better do before you do anything else? Stop and pray. Freeze. Do not move. As parents, there's probably a hundred stories in here about the time that you called after your kid and you said, stop, and the car went flying by. Or you're visiting the city, stop, and the train comes through. We are to stop, freeze, do not move, do not go any farther until you do what? Pray. And look at the condition of his heart. I heard these things. I sat down. I wept. I stopped. I sat down. And for days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love and those who love him, who keeps his commandments, let your ear be attentive. God, are you listening? Psalms and all the words of David, how many times we hear him say, God, will you turn your ear to me? Lord, I'm not sure that you're even listening to me right now. Will you turn your ear? We have some concerns. But where does he start? When he stops to pray, he confesses the sin that we, the Israelites, including myself, if you love God's people, you had better include yourself in God's people. If you've got a problem with how the church has acted in the last 10 years, 5 years, last 10 minutes, you better not eliminate yourself from the problem. Right in the middle of it. He says, this is my house, my family. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed your commands or your decrees or your laws that you gave your servant Moses. 
God, do you remember? You gave your servant Moses these. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. And he's saying, we are living that out right now. For the last 70 years, we've been scattered in every direction, and we know why. You told Moses this would happen. You would scatter us if we did not follow you. But, verse 9, but God is going to interact. If you return to me, he says, and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are on the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen. He's saying, when I look at the landscape, when I hear the story, when I take it in, when I come up and I, step, I come to my mark and I pay attention, it looks like what I see is that we are scattered in every direction. We are on the farthest horizon, but the hope that we have is in your great strength, verse 10, and your mighty hand can sweep us back together again. Nehemiah is saying, from where I'm standing, things look pretty bad. From where I'm standing, I'm at fault. My house and my father's, we are at fault. And we have been spread in every direction. All we see is ruin. And yet I know your word tells me that your great strength and your mighty hand will call us back. On your mark, get set. Third fill-in, you guessed it, go. Go, but start where you are. Start where you are. Obedience starts where you are. Verse 11, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering, revering your name. Revering, that's not a word. Revering your name. Give your servant success today. Circle that, square it, mark it, highlight it, whatever you're using to mark that in your Bible. Today, by granting him favor in the presence of this man, this human, this one that you've created, because I serve someone much higher than he. And then he lets us know, subtitle, I was the cupbearer to the king. Go, on your mark, get set, go. Start where you are today. He didn't have to build up a militia. He didn't have to do anything else. He was going to start right where he was today, realizing that today, God give me favor today when I go and speak to this man. Here's where I am today. I'm the cupbearer. I don't run a construction company that can rebuild these walls. I'm the cupbearer. What do you have for me today? Here's the statement that I want you to be left with this morning. The Lord will never do something great through us. Remember when you raised your hand a few minutes ago and said, I, I want to be able to be used by God. He will never do something through us until he does something in us first. He'll never do something through us until he does something in us. Nehemiah is going to go to the city, and we're going to spend the next month looking at this. He's going to go to the city, and he's going to start the rebuilding process. He's going to start putting the pieces together. And the tower is going to get larger and larger. And all that he puts together are going to have troubles, they're going to have trials, and there's going to be pieces that fall out, and he's going to have to start over again. And there's all this that he's up against. And even in the end, as you get to the end of the book of Nehemiah, you'll find that it's all kind of... Maybe a waste of time. Because no matter how long he works on this tower, and how long you and I work on this tower, it's all pointing us to the fact 
that the Messiah is the only one who can rebuild that kingdom. And everything is going to point to the Messiah. The work that he is going to do in you and in me. The gospel says the only way that that happens. The truth of the matter is there is only one way. And that is through Jesus Christ. And so as we look through the lens of the New Testament at this story. If there is something that is being pressed in your heart and understand, yes, I think God you want to use me. The title of today's sermon is A Dislocated Heart. God put in Nehemiah a desire for something that was very far away from him. Something that pulled him away. And whatever it is that you have this morning that is pulling you away, whatever that passion is, that desire is, that you feel like God has put something in your heart and you're going to have to do something like on your mark, get set, go. You're going to have to do something that you're uncomfortable with. You're going to have to do something that you're not used to doing. What you better do is listen, pray, obey. But in that process, as God begins the work in you, you had better remember that he is the one doing the work. He is the only one that can rebuild. He is the only one that can do anything. It is through his power and through his strength. This last year, we've been working on a project at our house. Band, you can come up. Ushers, you can come forward. We've been working on a project in our house where we've rebuilt an addition on the back. We've got this new living space we've never had before. But as the foundation was being built, guess what had to be happening? The old foundation had to be cleared away. And as we're doing that, the, the new foundation was going to come right up to the, the doors, the glass doors that were there, a sliding glass door. And they used some small equipment to be able to get a lot of the pieces away, the old foundation, to get things settled in so they were ready to go. The last thing that was left, though, was this old steps that were coming up to the back door. And in order to tie the, the, what was going to be the new house to the old house, those old steps were going to have to be demolished. And because it was so close to the house, there was no way you could get a piece of equipment in there. They were just going to have to smash it by hand. And so some 19, 20-year-old giant is out there with a hammer and just breaking and busting that thing. And it's right here by a sliding glass window. And my son Elias, who's three and a half or four years old at the time, thinks that he's at an NHL hockey game and is pounding on the glass. And he's smashing it and he's smashing it. And wouldn't you know, he hits it and he dislocated something in his hand. And when he held that thing up, his thumb was going the wrong way. Couldn't have planned that any better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he runs around the backyard and tries to pop his thumb back into socket or whatever was there. And then his boss wonders why he stopped smashing the thing with his hands, you know. Listen, if you have a dislocated heart this morning, you need to understand that it is not going to get better. There's going to be some pain in where you are right now until you're willing to do what God is calling you towards. Jonah was not going to find peace until he went to Nineveh. 
And so that dislocation you have in your heart for the thing that God is calling you to do, for what you know that God is pressing on you, you had better start pursuing it. You better listen, stop and pray, and then be obedient. So this morning, maybe your first step of obedience is this. Take that connection card in front of you. Write your name down and say, pray for me. I need to be obedient today. Remember, you circled the word today. Give your servant success today by granting him presence with the king. Will you be obedient today as God works in your heart and in your life to rebuild what is going to be beautiful someday? But right now, you just need to be willing to take the first step. Start where you are today. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for Nehemiah. Lord, he is not in a royal lineage. He's not any different than anyone here this morning. He is a prisoner in exile. And yet, Lord, you are going to use him in an extraordinary way because he listened, he prayed for you, to show him what to do. And then he was obedient to the call. There's all kinds of things that people could be responding to this morning, Lord, but I pray that they hear your voice clearly. They see the landscape as dismal as it might be. And in that, Lord, they take a first step today. If there's someone here who doesn't know you, Lord, that that has not yet fallen into relationship with you, I pray that today would be the day. That would be the first step. Start here today. Start with an initial step towards you, Lord, as we've read in your scripture. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you, Jesus. We praise you. We trust you. We pray that today would be an awakening in our hearts for what you have, that there would be a birthing of something new, something exciting in this church, in this people, and that we would leave here changed, leave here different, that it would be a new season for our church and for our people. God, make us move. Help us be obedient today. In your powerful name and in your strength, we pray. Amen.